Welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we, along with you, I hope, are just trying to make the world 10% nicer by every means necessary. I am your host, Todd Brilliant, and today I'm joined by an amazing hero of mine, Lenore Skenazy. Uh, Lenore is the accidental, if you will, founder of the Free Range Kids Movement and president of Let Grow, which is a nonprofit promoting childhood independence and resilience. Those are super nice things. Lenore is also a speaker, blogger, syndicated columnist, author. Uh, she had a reality TV show. And what thrust her into the spotlight, really, is her decision a few years ago to let her then nine-year-old son take the New York City subway home alone and that became a national story that prompted millions, millions of helicopter parents to call for her head, uh, but also millions of rational adults to thank her, to thank her for her sanity. Now, I realize that sounded a little bit like a, a not-so-super-nice snub of overprotective parents. And who am I to judge on that, right? But, 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 but it's the, the indignant and righteous judgment of those, you know, those of us who choose not to condition our children with irrational, holy, unfounded fears, right? And turn them into these overly anxious fear bots. Well, that judgment, that judgment of our choice, that needs to be pushed back against if we're to help raise, as a community, truly healthy next generations. And if you don't agree with that, we can talk about it. Just reach out, reach out, reach out to the Super Nice Club. Remember when that used to be a thing? Healthy conversations about disagreements? Let's make that a thing again. Wouldn't that be great? I would love to make that a thing again. So I hope that you disagree with Lenore and I uh, in this podcast, that you listen in and you're just like, oh, they're wrong. And then let's talk about it. It'd be great. Anyway, uh, in this episode, we talk about free range kids, what that looks like and means. Uh, the truth about crime rates in the USA. Pretty interesting. Uh, some approaches to, to putting away those leashes that are around too many kids' necks, especially if you're a first-time parent. I mean, I really had a hard time. I did putting away and grounding my own helicopter with my first son, Justice. Believe me, I was bad. All right, this is the 68th episode of Nice Work. So here's some interesting, or not, tidbits about the number 68. 68, 68 teams in the men's NCAA basketball tournament. Yep. 68 is the largest known number to be the sum of two primes in exactly two different ways. So 7 plus 61, 31 plus 37. Ha, who knew? 68 is the name of a comic book series from Image Comics, love Image Comics, that was set in the Vietnam War only with, you know, a little twist, zombies. Yeah, haven't read it. The feds. The feds recently seized 68 big cats from the Tiger King Park. And no, I never watched that show. Uh, no plans to either. That's all I got for 68. All right, so let's do this. Let's turn off everything else. Click it off. Tune out the rest of the world and drop in to nice work with Lenore Skenazy. 
Lenore, Lenore Skenazy, you're here on Nice Work. I'm really, really happy to have you on. Hi. Uh, hi. I feel like <laughs> I hope I'm being nice enough. Hello, Todd. I'm thrilled. It's great. Yay. There we go. Um, where I always like to know where guests are at. So where are you? What part of the country, what part of the world? I'm in Jackson Heights, Queens, uh, which is part of New York City. Uh, I have to tell you that it's the best part of New York City. I live in the coolest neighborhood. It has 167 languages spoken. We have groceries from, you know, Tibet. And I guess it should be warring with (laughs) there's grocery from China and Mexico and three Indian groceries and a Himalayan grocery and um, and also just fantastic people. And it's also right now it happens to be the end of Ramadan. And so everybody's walking around in these very fantastic outfits. So it's great. That sounds great. How long have you been there? 11 years. Okay. Yeah. um, I I know the neighborhood when you mention it. I don't know that I've actually been, you know, I've been out to New York quite a few times, gone through a lot of neighborhoods, but it's just such a, when you're from the West Coast, it's really hard to, it's just this big, I love it. I love it out there. But the the, the neighborhoods kind of blend together for me a little bit. So I'm sorry that I can't say, yeah, oh, I know yeah, the, I I know the Himalayan deli. Right, yes, exactly. Right. Oh, I get Momos from that truck, not the guy exactly. across the street. Yeah. I know. Well, you know what? You'll come visit and we'll, we'll do a Momo crawl. I would... I would really love that. I would really love that. So uh, a lot of folks listening know who you are, are familiar with your work. It's impacted their lives or maybe they've, you know, tisk tisked you a little bit. I don't know. But let's just take it real quick, real quick from the top. Just give a little background on you, on free range kids, and just to, just to sort of encapsulate this and get people super interested, which I'm sure they already are. So I'm just going to take it from the top. Back in 2008, you wrote an article called Why I Let My Nine-Year-Old Ride the Subway Alone. And it set off a huge global reaction. I was part of it. I, I got to read it right away. And it, it was had an impact on me, which I'll tell you about. But uh, is that right? Is that the start? Or was there something before that that got you interested in writing that article? I just want to make sure we're getting the right origin story. Oh, yeah. Story no, there. no. That's definitely the origin story. Okay. Uh, years, years later when I was looking for um, old articles to like mm-hmm. put together a, like a compilation, I found an article that said, look, I let my kids, uh, you know, they're two boys, go to the bathroom at the public theater when they were three and five. Is that terrible? You know, I didn't want to go in with them. I didn't want them to come in with me. And I let my kids play downstairs in the courtyard without me there. Is that terrible? And they were like seven and nine or whatever they were. So um, it turned out that I had actually been more consistent than I realized. Um, But nobody cared about those articles. The only one they cared about, of all the articles I've written, I'm a newspaper columnist. I write 50 columns a year. It's been 30 years or something. There's been a lot of columns. One got attention, and that was the one about letting my kid ride the subway. Well, so I read it. Uh, shortly after it came out, that's because of the the internet. Even on the West Coast, we got these articles from New York. It's crazy. How do you like that? Um, yeah. I know. Uh, and, I, you know, it really made me take stock of my parenting style of my first son, Justice, who was... Justice. Justice, yeah. Um, Ralph Nader named him. Different story for a different time. Maybe Ooh. we'll get Ralph on to tell the story. Uh he was six years old at the time. It really made when me he got think. his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when he got his name, we're like, hey, "Don't worry, kid. <laughs> right. You know, eventually right. something will stick." Right, right, you know? right. I can't decide. It's so hard. Uh, it made me think about sort of all of the unsubstantiated fears that I I had that I mm-hmm. had running around inside my head, um, and uh, you know, just letting him out of my sight. 
right? Mm-hmm. And I had to do mm-hmm. a lot of letting go. And it wasn't easy, um, but it was so, so good for him, for justice. Uh, mm-hmm. A few years later at 13, he was roaming around Tokyo and Kyoto mm-hmm. on his own, both parents back in California. Wow. He, had ex- he had an exchange family, right? But they wow. turned out they turned out MIA largely. <laughs> so, uh, but he made it. He made it to his classes each day, and he thrived. He thrived. It was amazing. A, was it? it was, in, big, was everything in Japanese? Uh, well, it was. He was supposed to be learning Japanese because he's a quarter Japanese, right? Mm-hmm. But he made his way around the town. We he got on the phone the first night. He's like, "They're not here." Um, they ended up showing up, uh, or one of them did, but they were very. It, it was kind of a mess, but and he was distraught. Like, I want to come home. Uh, I remembered your article. And I'm like, you know what? You can do this subway. There was a, a nine-year-old who did this. You can figure it out. And within 48 hours, he was just killing it, crushing it there. Uh, played hooky a lot from the school. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is that I, I part of this is native. You know, he's just capable of doing this. But it's in no small part because he had been used to being off-leash, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and listeners – before you go there, I know there's a different set of rules for young girls, okay? And I don't mean to ignore that, you know, if you, you know, because, you know, we have some different, this is a, a, a boy child, right? This is the only experience that I have. I don't have an experience with a girl. So I'm just saying my perspective and I'm not trying to, to dismiss your concerns, but it still says a lot about the impact of Lenore, of your one article on, on my life, on injustices. So thank you. I mean it. Thank you so much for helping me raise a more confident, less anxious kid. You know, I appreciate it. Uh, Look, I appreciate the feedback. You know, I sit here and you can see it. I mean, I realize your your listeners can't, but I sit here in my living room day in and day out writing the same article over and over again for 13 years. So it's nice that it had some real world impact. Yeah, you can't see it. But behind Lenore is just a wall of Schlitz cans, Schlitz beer cans. (laughs) You know, it takes it takes a lot of patience to to um, build a tower like that. Um, So that said, you have also turned me into a well, actually, well, you've turned me into potential criminal. Okay, because more than a few parents have been arrested and had their children Mm -hmm. taken away for letting them Uh, walk to school. Um, uh, plenty of people have been investigated. Very few have had their children taken away. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's terrible that they're investigated. I mean, that's one of the things that, um, so I'm the, I run Let Grow now, which is a nonprofit dedicated to childhood independence. And we're trying to pass laws. We just passed one um, a week ago in Oklahoma that very specifically says it is not neglect (laughs) to let your kids play outside, walk to school, stay home alone for a little bit. Uh, You know, neglect is something bad when you're really not paying any attention to a dangerous situation that you could be putting your kid in because you just are so careless or heedless or bad. But uh, letting your kid do some things on their own because you feel they're ready to do it or letting them do some things on their own because you have to get to work and the babysitter is late and you're a single mom and there's only one bus an hour. And if you don't get on that 745 bus, you won't make it to your job in time and you'll lose the job and you'll lose your apartment. And so you have to let your six-year-old stay home for those 45 minutes while the babysitter pokily gets to your home. That's that's not neglect either. I mean, what's interesting to me about the, the country right now is how quick we are to assume a couple things. One is that anytime a child isn't supervised, they are in terrible danger. And two, that parenting can and must be perfect for it to be okay. It's 
just mm. a, a strange, um, unforgiving moment. Well, when you just said a six-year-old alone for 45 minutes, I know 30% of the listeners just kind of went, oh, I can't even envision that, right? Yeah, I'm not so, even recommending it. I'm just saying no, that I know. sometimes things aren't perfect. And yeah. to assume that if they're not perfect, there's somebody very bad who is raising a child who perhaps shouldn't be raising that child or who should possibly have to quit her job to go take parenting lessons to learn better. It, there's there's things that are beyond our control. I, I was just writing an article recently about, uh, it, it, it's an off topic, but it was parents who were accidentally, who were uh, jailed for 13 years because their baby died. They had a horrible trial. And finally, 13 years later, it was declared a complete mistrial. There had been all this exonerating evidence that hadn't been shown to the court. And there had been, uh, it was just a travesty. Even the DA apologized to them. But what was interesting um, was what one of the lawyers, uh, uh, one of the appeal lawyers said, which is that somehow it is easier for us to believe that good people do horrible things for no reason than to believe that horrible things happen to good people for Mm. no reason. And your podcast, one of the reasons I'm doing your podcast is because you're thinking about people in positive terms. And it would that would be a good one to start with. Let's assume that most of the time when something bad happens to a child, mm-hmm. it's because of bad luck, not because of bad parenting. And so, you know, if the one day that you're running for the late for the bus and the, you're, you're late for the bus and the babysitter's late for you and something horrible happens, that's not because you're the worst parent in the world. It's because you have the worst luck in the world. Oh, that's that's an interesting. That's a great frame. So let's just do I, I think it's obvious by this point. But let's just do just a quick definition of your quick definition of what a free range kid looks like. So to me, a free range kid looks like probably you, except younger. <laughs> um, tell me about your childhood and I'll see if you were a free range kid. Let's hear. OK, great. Uh, so after my parents split, uh, when I was eight, seven, when I was seven, my mom moved. We moved up the, up to a small town. And yeah, she had to go to work each day. Mm-hmm. You know, And so I was the classic early 80s latchkey kid, literally mm-hmm. a key around my neck. So I would walk home at seven years old, eight years old from school and let myself in. Yep. And then I would turn on KTVU channel two. This is all coming back to me. Watch <laughs> Spider-Man, uh, mm-hmm. make myself some lunch, do my homework. Mom would get home around five or six. And that happened, you know, for I think a year. And then I did get a babysitter mm-hmm. because she could afford it. Oh, um, wow. Did that yeah. feel like chafing at the bit? You know, suddenly. No, there's... because it was, I went over to a friend's house and this babysitter was his mom. So it's actually oh, great for okay, me because I got to have some friends to play with, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. through my childhood on and off, yeah, if my mom was working and there wasn't money for a babysitter or whatever, yeah, I was cooking my own meals and stuff as young as eight years old, you know, mm-hmm. and I've tried to teach my kids. Uh, when they're young, how to make basic meals. And I thought it was fun, the independence of it. I remember going through the Charlie Brown cookbook <gasps> and I looked up like French toast and different things that you could make and, you know, making the eggs and all that kind of stuff. It was empowering to me. And I'm not just saying that to, to bolster your case because you're on. I'm just mm-hmm. remembering this for the first time. Like, oh yeah, it was great. That's I so got cool. to do these things. I ironed my own clothes. I went to a Catholic school for a year when I was nine and you had to have a little white shirt on, right? Do you think my mom had time to iron my clothes in the morning? Nah, uh, I guess I, not. Right? I'm nine years old. I'm ironing what a my terrible clothes. Mom, right? Yeah, you know. Uh, so yeah, there was there was a lot of independence, a lot of running around at the creeks in Redding, California, uh, all day long. 
all night long. Mom had no idea where I was. We had no cell phones. She just said, be back, you know, but it wouldn't have taken her long to find me, probably a few phone calls, driving around a little bit. Yeah. So there, okay. That's what a free range kid looks like. Uh, that's one of the things <laughs> that free range kids look like. I mean, you could, you could be outside because like in your case, you know, your mom doesn't have all the time in the world to be watching you, or it could be that your mom wanted you to be outside. And I mean, with my mom, she was a stay at home mom, but still, of course she let us play outside, go knocking on our friends' doors. And I'm not saying that to be a free range kid, you have to be living in, you know, 1971 or all bets are off. But it's just a it's a it's a mind, a frame of mind that trusts some things to kick in automatically. Mm -hmm. Um, One is some street smarts, some social skills, some resilience, um, some problem solving, as opposed to assuming that if any of this is left to the kid, Woe, you know, woe is me. I better be there helping, intervening, watching, um, you know, just being there all the time. I, I sometimes ask when I give a lecture, I ask mm-hmm. people uh, what they loved. One thing that they love doing as a kid that they don't let their own kids do. And, oh, my God, there's a little laugh. And then everybody starts thinking, oh, we, we climbed the trees. I would never. Or I let my son stay home alone. And I would never even let that happen, even when he's not until he's 15 or whatever. But right. they, they chat, 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 chat. And then sometimes just for fun, I ask, okay, now raise your hand if your mom was with you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and I look, you know, it's, it just works so perfectly all the time. Nobody raises their hand because the, the joy of childhood is not that your parents don't care about you or mm-hmm. don't look after you or don't think about your basic needs or aren't there for you. It's not that, but it is. Charlie Brown, you just mentioned it. Charlie Brown, the, the parents are, wah, wah, you know, they're yeah. they're not part of the scene, right? They're not saying yeah. to Charlie, you know, Charlie, she's going to take the ball away. I've seen this before. Let me hold the ball for you. And that way you can kick it. Lucy, move away. I want my son to be able to kick the ball. I mean, not that Charlie yeah. actually ever learns his lesson, but sort of dense that way. Um, but we love him. We love all those characters because they were muddling through and sometimes they weren't nice to each other and sometimes they were lonely and sometimes they were philosophical um, and they all had unrequited loves, <laughs> you know, each one to the next one. And if there was parents in there, it's like, OK, I'm going to organize a football game and um, I'll feed the dog for you because you have homework and um, I'll go with you when you're uh, trick or treating. And, oh, you know, you're not allowed to get a rock. Excuse me. Nobody can give you a rock. I mean, it's just it's an entirely different experience when adults have decided that the only people who can keep you safe enough and smart enough are them. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Uh, and it reminds me of flash forward, younger kid, um, Ryerson, he's mm-hmm. uh, eight years old and living in LA Ryerson and his brother and stepbrothers go for walks mm-hmm. right in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And they've had, People pull over in cars and ask, you know, where their parents are. Three blocks mm-hmm. from our house. Where are your mm-hmm. parents? Um, they're home. We're just walking around. They're kind of sassy kids too, by the <laughs> way. Um, uh, and uh, they'll get accused. You know, they'll say, hey, I can't, you know, your, your, your parents aren't, they don't really know where you are. Parents don't believe that my kids are out in Los Angeles walking around on their own. It's a safe neighborhood. They don't believe uh, anyone's walking on their own. <laughs> they don't believe anyone's walking around. <laughs> what are you doing so, without a car? <laughs> so I went on next door, which is just the most toxic 
social media thing you can possibly do. Next door, I do not advise it on anyone reading any of the comments. They're just hateful, anti-homeless uh, people on a lot of it on Nextdoor. And Nextdoor does not address this. I've talked to the Nextdoor administration and they just, you know, anyway, doesn't matter. Not, not to bag on Nextdoor, but, you know, Nextdoor is not super nice. Yeah, <laughs> it's just not a super nice place. Anyway, so I posted, hey, my kids are running around in this part of the neighborhood. Uh, if you see them, it's okay. We know they're out there. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh boy. First of all, there's a lot of positivity. Like, oh my gosh, how sane. We used to run around and nobody bothered us. It mm-hmm. sucks that your kids are getting hassled. But a lot of people were like, so um, you're telling predators that your children are out there right now? Um, probably not a good idea. You know, this is a very dangerous world. Or things like, hey, that's terrible we're going to call Child Protective Services on you. I had two different people threaten to call Child Protective Services because I posted that my kids are running around in my neighborhood, which is insane. So then I'm looking at all these posts, people saying, you know how dangerous it is? I'm like, I don't know how dangerous it is, actually. I do. Let me me go do some sleuthing. (laughs) I went online. I looked at crime rates uh, in the United States, in the world, different, you know, countries. I mean, mm-hmm. I went down a big rabbit hole, which is what the internet is for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in my particular neighborhood and in greater Los Angeles. And you probably, what did I find, Lenore? Oh, let me guess. Is it possible that crime has been plunging since the, it peaked in the early 90s and mm-hmm. it has been plunging ever since then? You know, we're living in the safest times in human history. The murder rate is back to what it was, I think, in 1962 or 64. Violent crime rate is back to about 64, 67. And so any parent today, unless you're a 75-year-old parent, was growing up when it was less safe than it is now. Absolutely. I kind of felt that was probably the case because, you know, you just know that media sells by, by uh, hyping things up and fear travels very fast. But I hadn't realized how sharp the decline. Oh, it's great. Was. Yeah. I say it's yeah. like, imagine birthday cards to Bernie Madoff or Hummer sales. And that's the graph. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's going up, 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 up. Oh, plunge. That's but this exactly is great it. news, right? It is great so, news. That so nobody like, understands, right? I have great news to share with the next door crowd, yep. right? Like, mm-hmm. look guys, this is so great. Oh, they don't want it because it goes against their preferred reality mm-hmm. and their preferred worldview. And that got me thinking, who wants a preferred worldview where there's more crime? What is the mechanic that, there? Actually, that is really interesting. Um, yeah. First I didn't of all, answer just, the question. It was, right. It's I, 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 and I, <laughs> I can't answer that question either, but it is one that interests me. It's um, to, to a tiny extent, I think it's that people want to be living in exciting times. And the more dangerous it is, it sort of gets your pulse going. But I think that's, I think those are the people who write on, Facebook that they almost had their child snatched from them at Target and sex trafficked, which, by the way, I talked to the head of the Crimes Against Children Research Center at the University of New Hampshire. And I said, how often does that happen that a kid is, you know, seen at Target or Walmart or Safeway and, uh, you know, there's somebody in this aisle. And then I went down another aisle and there was another guy there and he pretended like he was talking on the phone, but he was eyeing my child. And then I got to the checkout counter and there he was again. And outside was a van. And I'm sure what was about to happen was like that he was about to buy an apple is probably what was about to happen. (laughs) But they're always convinced that it was um, uh, just a very close call with sex traffickers. And thank God they had the manager walk them to their house, to their car. And so when I asked, how often does that happen? Um, The answer was, uh, I don't know if you read any of my blog posts about this, but you know what the answer is? How often are children taken from their parents in public in America 
mm-hmm. and um, put into the sex trade? I don't remember, although I had I, I the reason why we're talking right now is my research into crime led me back to your uh, two sites, uh, freerangekids.org, right? No, freerangekids.com and .com let grow, and letgrow.org. Right. If you guys want to multitask and check out these sites <laughs> while we're talking, you know, if you're not driving, uh, freerangekids.org and or org because then you go to the bottom of the page and you click on either crime stats or urban myths and you know either place you go you will see this information which is that the number of times this has happened to a child in america at a public place with their parent taken away put in a uh, sex trade is zero <laughs> yep that's what i'm holding up i'm holding a big zero in my hand here um so that's the number, folks. You, you, and it's a great thing to have. I would say go to these crime stats and just just have that tab somewhere if you're having this conversation with someone because it is a nice thing to do to share the truth about the risks to our children because the risks, they're, they're not non-existent. Right, okay? right. Now. Not to say that. Not to say they're not non-existent. Not to say that terrible things don't happen. That We shouldn't be actively pursuing zeros across the board with crime. All right. As, as aggressively as we can. Of course, we're not going to get to zeros, but we want to see this keep going down. All right. But we are living in the United States, in Canada, in, in, in much of the world. Pretty safe times, folks. Pretty safe times. So that said, I'll be honest. Uh, mm. When I move, uh, I go to uh, maybe this is old habits or old fears. I go to the Megan's Law website and then I have to tell myself, um, why am I doing this? First of all, I don't know if this information is accurate. Sometimes also people get put into this site for for um, violations that are uh, – I don't know how to say this without saying like I'm endorsing some sort of – here, help me out, Lenore. <laughs> here, here's uh, what I – mean, the, the, the public uh, – we call it the sex offense list as opposed yeah. to the sex offender list because, yeah. you know, words mean something. When you start saying sex offender, it sounds like somebody is that – forever. Yes. You know, if you're Thank a tiger, you. you don't get to become a cute little lamb. You're going to be a right. tiger forever. But in fact, people who have committed sex offenses have an extraordinarily low recidivism rate, which sounds like the opposite of what everybody thinks, uh, including mm-hmm. the Supreme Court got it wrong. But um, the, the recidivism rate is lower among murderers. <laughs> but after that, it's people who have committed a sex crime, um, way less of, like reoffending than, you know, burglars or muggers or anything like that. And so, we have this list that hasn't made kids any safer. When there have been studies done, like do, do neighborhoods become safer when there's this list? Do children become safer? The answer is no. And what's strange about the list is that the restrictions were sort of pulled out of a hat. You know, like, oh, they can't mm-hmm. live within, I don't know, five, let's say 500 feet of a daycare center. Oh, let's say 1,000 right. feet. And And there's no um, actual rhyme or reason to those particular restrictions because they don't have any impact on Mm -hmm. um, on crime. And so what there's about a million people on them. And uh, actually, I just had breakfast this morning with Emily Horowitz, who's written a couple books about um, the sex offense registry. And she and I crunched the numbers. And what's you know, what's scary to me about that list is that your child is more likely to end up on the list than to be molested by someone on the list. Oh, At least, wow. Yeah. When we did the numbers in Texas, when we, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, 
it's a, a bad idea that sounded like it made some sense. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we should know where everybody is. Well, it's like, but you're not, first of all, you're not knowing where everybody is who's a danger to your kid because most kids are molested by people that they know, oftentimes mm-hmm. a family member. So you're mm-hmm. looking in the wrong direction if you're looking at the stranger. And then you're looking at the house of somebody who might have done something, even some, you know, something very minor, like sex did his girlfriend or something major, but who is very unlikely having served their time to do it again. And yet they're, they're, they're just on this list for so long. Sometimes it's 10 years after you've gotten mm-hmm. out of prison. Sometimes it's 25. In some states, it's life. And and that means like once a week, and even into your 80s, you have to go for sex therapy to somebody to try to convince you not to molest a 13-year-old when you're 19. It's like, but I'm 95 now. It's like, well, I just want to make sure. You know, you've only been coming here for 70 years. <laughs> Right. Uh, well, I didn't. I didn't mean to get too sidetracked by that. But yeah, I, I've just my because it, it's such such uncomfortable conversation for most folks. It really is. You oh know, we God, have such yes. big. Uh, it's just some nasty things happen and really big fears yes. with our kids. But I find myself still doing it, even though I know logically mm-hmm. that. It doesn't do anything to make my kids safer. And I know that sometimes people get put on these lists. Like, you know, you could be an 18-year-old uh, mm-hmm. boy or girl. I'm mean, mm-hmm. still calling 18-year-old boys and girls. You know, men, mm-hmm. And, you know, you can uh, have sexual relations with your 16-year-old boyfriend or girlfriend and get put on that list in some right. states. Right? Like, it's right. just, it's kind of crazy. Some, some states you're allowed to have sex, but you're not allowed to send a picture. <laughs> so if your girlfriend right. sexts you, that's a crime. That's And you could be put on the list, right? Yes, you're some of yes. these red dots in the map. So I, you know, I do try to take that into account. Anyway, this idea. Wait, 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 wait actually, I just want to yeah, yeah. um, interrupt for one second because no, no, no. I want to keep kids safe, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And so what I learned is nothing is 100% foolproof. And nothing is 100% safe. But because the vast majority of crimes against kids are committed by people they know, it is really, and even and even for the, the stranger danger, um, the, the best advice I can give anybody is to teach your kid the three R's. I don't know if you've heard of this before. Have you? The three R's? It's recognize. Recognize that nobody can touch you, wear your bathing suit covers. They just can't. Okay. Second R is resist. If somebody tries to touch you or wants to kiss you or makes you uncomfortable, resist. Punch them in the nose, run, kick, scream. You don't have to be nice. Just resist them because people don't like resistance. You know, they run away too. And then the third thing is to report. If somebody is is hurting you or saying this is our secret or I'm going to kill you or whatever it is, something that makes you feel bad, you can tell me and nothing bad will happen to you. I won't even be mad at you. So you're taking away, you know, some kids won't, but you're taking away a lot of the shame and the secrecy, which is the predator's best friend. So rather than saying, you know, don't walk past that dot, uh, you know, which is the only way you can get to school, um, teach them this. and, And you can teach them this the same way you teach stop, drop and roll if there's ever a fire. So you're not, t- you know, the kid doesn't go around thinking like, ah, I'm going to be on fire. Ah, I'm going to be on fire. They don't, they don't right. worry consist, you know, every yeah. single second about catching on fire, but they have a little bit of um, knowledge. And I would say power because yeah. they know what to do. And you have a little more confidence in them because they know what to do. You can yeah. even practice it. You know, you can even say, what would you do? I would kick you. Okay. Let's see. And I would run away. Let's see you run away. And then they run around the house like, that's good. Okay. Yeah. These are really good responses, the three R's for a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And and they, they can also ameliorate a little bit the need for this, this two, in my opinion, too broad umbrella that is the phrase stranger danger. 
right? Mm-hmm. We needn't be afraid of all strangers. If we are, we're missing so many new friendships and so many new conversations. We need only know things like the three R's when there is an unfortunate situation with a stranger or more likely with someone you already know, right? Mm-hmm. So those are great. Three R's, super nice club endorsed. Let's talk <laughs> about real quick the psychological advantages um, that are bestowed upon kids that are given more trust by their parents. Um, let's start with what you just said, more trust. Okay. So another thing I sometimes, this I stole from another lecture I once went to, but I don't remember her name or I would, I might give her some credit. Who knows? Um, she had the entire audience close their eyes for, I don't know, a minute or two minutes and think of somebody who made them feel terrible at some point in their life, made you feel fat or dumb, unlovable, ugly, unsuccessful. And and when we all did this and we opened our eyes, you know, I was thinking about this horrible boyfriend from years ago. Um, but everybody, she asked, like, how do you feel? And it's like, I felt it like in my chest, but some people feel it on their shoulders. Some people get a headache or a stomach ache. We all remember somebody who are you trying to do it now? You can't no, do it as we're talking. No, right? I, I already got it while you while you're saying it. It came oh, always flashed to me right away. Yeah, but go ahead. Right. Yeah. So so there's that person in your life. But yeah. then she had us close our, ide- our eyes again and um, think about somebody who did believe in you, somebody who thought that you were terrific or smart or um, you know trustworthy or going places, beautiful, dateable, whatever it was. And, and she gave us a while to, op- you know, to close our eyes. And then when I opened my eyes, I was crying and I don't think I was the only one. And I was thinking of my mentor who was my seventh grade teacher. She was so fantastic Aww. and so foul mouth. Oh, she was so funny. Um, and she was so <laughs> old. I'm probably her age now, but she struck me as like this ancient bird with a, you know, Lenore, come over here. You're going to help me out with this. And she made me drive her down like a three hour drive to, to visit a school that like an ancient schoolhouse that she was going to buy in Southern Illinois. I didn't even have my driver's license yet, but she believed in me. And those people who believe in you are the wind beneath your wings, right? They are, mm. they're going to loft you even before you were ready to leave the nest, right? Mm. And so you just said when your parents, what happens when your parents trust you with some independence? And the word trust is significant because that's them saying, I believe in you. And to be a parent and to have your child know that you believe in them, you don't think that they're too babyish, incompetent, stupid, flighty, um, weak, whatever, that you trust that they can not only do some things on their own, but handle a couple of things if they're not perfect. You know, what if there is, you know, a mean dog on the way? What if you get lost? It's like, I have confidence in you. That's, Mm -hmm. that's an enormous gift. It's just a great, great gift. And I, and I feel bad because I, I never, I try never to, um, blame helicopter parents. People think I'm the anti-helicopter parent and I'm totally part helicopter on my mom's side. And what I hate (laughs) is a society that has made us into this. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, they print the pictures of the dots on the map and they put stranger danger on everything and they have McGruff the crime dog and they yell at you when you say that I'm letting my eight-year-old walk around the neighborhood and they castigate you on next door And pretty soon you're with your kid all the time because there seems to be so little opportunity when you feel you can let your kid have some independence without there being, you know, crazy repercussions. And when your kid wants to do it, I mean, if nobody else is doing it, it's like it doesn't make sense to go to the park if there's nobody to play with in the park. And if everybody's getting driven to school, you know, it just it just becomes the social norm. 
And so my, I, I'm sorry that, that our society has almost drained our, our, the, the things that would allow us to start trusting our kids they've drained those out of our lives. You know, it's not normal to let your kid walk to school. It's not normal to let them play in the park. It is normal to yell at a parent who trusts their kid. And, and so it's rough. You're, you're, not, you're not a crazy helicopter parent. You are living in a culture where everything, oh, normally I have my parents' magazines here and I start reading aloud. Oh, I have one here. You know, Parents Magazine keeps telling you, you know, we love, we celebrate children. Never let them out of your sight. We love, we celebrate children. Remember, if you want to raise a music lover, you better take them to Gymboree Music Special. You know, we right, love children. Right. And by the way, are their muscles getting enough? You should probably take them to this class and you should probably, and you know, enroll them in tutoring and you should probably get them a shrink and you should probably drive them on an interesting drive and point out everything. And it's like everything is Parents Magazine about parents, right? Right. Parents should have some time just being humans and kids should have some time being humans who aren't just cargo, precious cargo being taken places and filled with interesting stuff. Yeah, it is. There's a pressure, right? There's a pressure parents uh, out there with, with younger kids. You know, I know that you feel the pressure to always entertain your kids, right? You've always yeah. got to entertain them unless they're being entertained by a screen as opposed to just letting them go out and find stuff to do. Because we don't knock on the doors anymore and say, hey, I know. can, can Jenny play? Yeah. And so we don't do that. Uh, we do play dates. And I know that if you're, that, that most of us, even if we're doing play dates all the time, we don't like it. Most parents go, yeah, play dates are dumb. Why can't we just knock on the door? Um, we can't. That's the thing. That was the, the best thing that came out of the next door thing is I had several parents say, oh, my God, when COVID's over, can our kids just hang out and play together? Oh, great. Um, oh, that's great. Right? Are they and, doing uh, it now? I mean, do we consider it over? No, because we're, I'm, I'm, we're still just sort of like we're going to wait a month or two and see how mm -hmm. it all rolls out, you mm -hmm, know, before mm -hmm. we're like totally back into social. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there's some, we did connect with some folks who are like, hey, we, we want to be those people that just have our kids knock on your door and show up. Yeah. And your kids are either going to be at this house or that house. And right. you know, you can, you can, uh, if they're here, we'll feed them lunch, you know, right. that kind of thing. Uh, just like we all did or so much of us did. Right. 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 It's, it's normal. And by listening to this podcast and thinking about some of these things, um, maybe you'll you'll start doing that with your kids uh, and in your neighborhood. Or maybe you already are. Yeah. It should be even better because, you know, L.A. is different than um, Idaho. Maybe, uh, <laughs> Idaho or uh, Raleigh or wherever you are. You know, there's a lot of super nice club members in Idaho. There are a lot of members in Idaho mm -hmm. per capita, maybe more than anywhere else. I don't know why. Maybe it's <laughs> Idaho sounds very state. cool. It's so yeah. really neat. It sounds very um, free range. Yeah. And uh, so I think that by telling these stories and by getting onto these sites that can be so um, judgy like Nextdoor, it's helpful. This is why we're talking right now to, to spread mm -hmm. the stories even further. You encapsulated these. This is such a straight, stupid blunt segue, but you encapsulated these into free range kids, your yeah, book, yeah. right? Which came out a few years ago. Um, Wait, no, more important is coming out again. <laughs> I, it's coming out again, a yes, new edition, yes, right? Second edition's yeah. coming out on June 16th and it has new chapters on anxiety because I didn't, I don't know if I was not paying as much attention 10 years ago when I wrote the first edition or if really it has just gone off the charts. I've just seen um, a lot of anxious kids and a lot of parents anxious about their kids and 
I know from anxiety, it's no fun. So there's a chapter about sort of intriguing ways to fight it that are not hard to figure out. And then I have a chapter for educators, calling all educators, and a chapter on tech, um, because mm-hmm. tech has, is much bigger now than it was um, when my book first came out. And it has a foreword by Jonathan Haidt and his whole family, basically. He wrote The yeah, Coddling really. of the American Mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 yeah, that's why, I, that's why I had breakfast with this morning. It was his wife. Um, yeah. Oh, get him, get him. I'm sure he needs this podcast. I love it. He the, does. I yeah, love there you book. go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so here's a great review of Free Range Kids that I read on Amazon uh, that I think everybody will enjoy. Um Calling irresponsible parents free range is just spin. All they're doing is making other people care for their offspring. If their kid gets hurt, a parent who is actually there has to handle it. The free range kids end up in someone else's house, which is never acknowledged or appreciated by the negligent parent. Those of us who actually watch our kids are sick of free rangers dumping their kids on us. And no, we will not let our kids go to your house. Not after seeing your kids roam around in the middle of the street. Plus, there is no free range. If your kids are playing in the woods, they are trespassing. Oh, that's a wow, great I didn't one-star realize review. that the entire earth is owned by somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great one-star review. Now, to me, this person- That's a one-star review? Wow. Yeah, wow. I know, right? Now, overall, it's four and a half-star review, but I had to pick that because it's just fun. No, it's, it's, it's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. People think This of, person seems- Seems angry. Go ahead. All right. Um, maybe not super nice. Um, well, first of all, there is- uh, you know, you call it free range kids or I call it free range kids. And there is going to be some confusion because does that mean we're not paying any attention to our kids at all? And hopefully somebody else will feed them because I sure won't. And, you know, there's no peanut butter yeah. at my house, you know. Um, and I could see where if you just knew the word, you might think that it was all about irresponsibility. Uh, gangs of kids. Yeah. Gang, gangs of kids demanding, <laughs> you know, ice cream sandwiches and yeah. tramping through the park. What could be worse? Um, so sometimes, I mean, what's really annoying to me is sometimes if you, if you go to YouTube and you look up free range kids, one of the videos that pops up is about like a family that like, we don't believe in, you know, medicine or sugar or bedtime or school or uh, clothing. We're free range. I'm like, ah, that's like everything I don't believe in is what you believe in. And you took my words, but of course people can, you know, people can say whatever they want. The book is, is really trying to show not how to raise your kids, but it, I was an American studies major way back when, and I'm really most interested in how did we get to this point so fast that you who roamed around your neighborhood, eight years old, making your scrambled eggs, coming home with a latch key, riding your bike, knocking on friends' doors, is, you know, worried. And and maybe it's not even you, but then you you mentioned, like, I even let my eight-year-old play outside, and people are ready to call the government on you. They want somebody Mm -hmm. to come and teach you a lesson. And that's a giant sea change. It's, It's a sea change in how we see kids because we saw them as, pretty resourceful, resilient. They could, you know, they could handle something if something did go wrong, you know, like in that little letter you just read, you know, what if they fall down? And it's like, yeah, what if they fall down? um, Let me finish my thought and then remind me about Jesse Ventura because I get so easily distracted. But so, so in one generation, we went from thinking that kids were, were humans in training and able to figure some stuff out on their own and able to deal with some problems, you know, not giant problems, but, oh, you know, the, the, there's the scary dog or there's a, a right. mean boy across the street or whatever, to thinking of them as, as constantly in danger 
and unable to withstand anything that they might encounter. So I'm going to tell you Jesse Ventura, and then I got to, I, I literally have to write myself notes now about what I'm talking about. And then I'll tell you the Wall Street Journal story. So Jesse Ventura had, was a, um, you know, a wrestler, right? And then he became governor of Minnesota. And then he had a talk show, <laughs> which is like the, sort of the last stage of a career, I think. And, right. uh, and, and the real last stage is he had me on. And for some reason, he started talking about, obviously, when he was a kid, he remembered when he was 10, he was riding his bike, he was a couple of miles away from home, obviously no cell phones back then. And he mangled, he just, you know, he got into some kind of bike accident and he mangled uh, his leg and it was in horrible, horrible pain. But he was there by himself and he didn't have a phone and he just had his bike and he had to get home. And so he sort of sort of road walked the bike home because he could only use one foot to push the pedal down. So then he would have to wait for the pedal to come all the way up again and then <laughs> shump it down. I'm familiar with it. Yep. <laughs> yes. So, um, and then he got home and it turned out they went to the doctor the next day and sure enough, he had broken his foot. So, okay. It's not that fascinating a story, except that he felt compelled to tell it at age 60 something to whoever was watching his talk show and to me. And so, Obviously, this was very significant to him because, well, why do you think it was so significant? You tell me. I think it was significant to Jesse because it was a moment where he learned that he can handle himself and that he doesn't need to necessarily uh, have an adult around. You know, he, that's preferred. It's preferred to have somebody around. But just in case... Mm -hmm. You know, you have some self-reliance skills. And when you grow up, never given the ability to have that tested. And we don't want our kids to get broken feet. No. Let's just say this, okay? But a version of that, right? A skinned knee even um, gives you some confidence in your self-reliance when you go off to college. You're not anxious and worried and feeling like, oh, I can't handle anything. Because yeah. you broke your foot and you made it home. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. That's it. I mean, it's something in your back pocket now. You know what you yeah. can handle. You're kind of proud. And um, you've been tempered, right? Just like a mm -hmm. cast iron pan. You've been in the fire and you came out and now you're stronger. And so the Wall Street Journal had an article, believe it or not, titled, you know, how to raise a free range kid or something, get a cell phone. I can't remember. what the Free range kid was definitely in the title. Um, so they quoted this woman who sounded really nice. And she said she had such fond memories of growing up. She would go to the creek and spend a lot of time there and like look at the bugs and the frogs and the leaves and, you know, contemplative and interested. And, and she wanted her own daughter to have that same kind of childhood. So uh, she got her daughter a cell phone early, or maybe it wasn't a whole cell phone. Maybe it was like a gizmo watch where you can alert a parent mm -hmm. with like a pressing of a button or something. And right. she said, and believe it or not, it's so great because no sooner did I get it for her than she was riding her bike around and the bike chain fell off and she could call my husband and he came over and fixed it immediately. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm glad you're laughing. Right. So let's just go through a little a little exercise here and talk about what did the girl learn from her bike chain breaking and being by herself? Yeah. Not how to fix a bike chain. Right. Yeah. Or if you can't fix your bike chain, how to um, borrow a bike or what were the other options you would have? How to um, get a ride home? 
how to hide your bike, maybe go to a business and say, hey, my bike isn't working. Can I put my bike back here with you guys for a couple hours? My friend's going to put me home on their handlebars. Like all these different solutions that we came up with. These are things that happened to me. My bike chain broke. I learned how to work on my bike because Mm -hmm. it kept breaking down, right? (laughs) It's a bad bike. Um, Right. Those kind of things, right? Um, Right. Going to talk to merchants. There's a self-confidence of, hey, can you help me? Right. You're a stranger. Assessing, is this stranger, you know, reasonable or not reasonable? Well, it's at Forever 21 uh, in the mall. It's probably a safe bet, right? Or the mall security person, things like that. Yeah. So she lost out on all of these abilities to problem solve. Right. And yeah, so to problem solve, to be self-reliant, to temper herself, to see what she was made of. And the mother, I mean, that's why I say I don't get down on parents. The mother didn't recognize a difference between her own childhood of going to the creek and the ability that she could give her daughter, knowing that her daughter could be in constant touch with an adult and that also that she could be tracking the child the whole time. So what I haven't studied and I don't know actually who is studying this, is the impact on kids of growing up under near total surveillance. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you can always tell where your kid is. The school tells you their grades on everything. Uh, You can read their texts. You can see their browsing history. You can um, know their temperature actually from several states away with this weird thing that somebody invented. Um, When there are babies in their crib, you can... um, see their blood oxygen level and their movement level and their pulse. And mm-hmm. um, there's some device that you can put your baby to sleep in that. Yeah, it's you, endless. It is endless, but it's it's not only, and I mean, it's endless for both generations. So it means that I must be, you know, constantly worried. She, she breathed now, according to my iPhone, is she going to breathe again? <laughs> yes, she breathed again. Wait, but what about this next one? Yes, again, you go girl, let's keep it up. And then- And then the kid never knows. I mean, I I just don't know what it would be like to grow up if my mom knew, if my mom could read my journal, if my mom knew where I was all the time. I mean, I loved Mm -hmm. closing my door and just making things. And I loved wandering through the woods. And of course, I took my bike. And I I don't want to dwell on the nostalgia. I want to dwell on Mm -hmm. the fact that when we have people under constant surveillance these days, they are work release prisoners. They wear an ankle Mm -hmm. bracelet so that we can keep track of them because we don't trust them. And Mm -hmm, we feel mm -hmm. like they have given up their right to autonomy because they did something wrong, but kids didn't do anything wrong. And yet they don't have their autonomy. I think I can maybe in part add to your, your, your observational data set when it comes, because you mentioned, you mentioned kids with grades now, right? And a lot of folks, Mm -hmm. uh, you might know now that you don't just get report cards, uh, once a semester or, you know, a, a little, uh, uh, two or three times a semester, know where your kids are at. Uh, it's real time. It's live. There's an app and it'll show what your kids' grades are all the time. Uh, that's super anxiety inducing. I know this from multiple kids that have this. We didn't have to deal with that. It's like if you're, if you have stock or you have crypto or whatever, you probably know that you, that you check this stuff all the time. And there's an anxiety in it. Oh, Apple's down three points today. Eh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can look at it for weeks. You just you don't have to look at it all the time. Or what your home value is on Zillow or something. It doesn't matter unless you're about to sell it. But it creates anxiety in you. And negative news is twice as impactful to us as positive news. So when your house value goes up ten thousand, you're like, yay! But only half as much as when it goes down five thousand. Right. So it's a lose lose situation when you're constantly monitoring these kids 
are looking at their grades daily. And often teachers don't input their scores right away. So they see this big dip, like, oh, I have a C now. And it creates a surge of anxiety. And they talk to the teacher and she's like, no, 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 it's cool. I just haven't put in your grade yet. But it's both ways because the parents are also asking at dinner every night, how are your grades right now? Hmm. Like it's over monitoring and it creates anxiety and there's no benefit from it. Folks, there just isn't. There, there may be once in a while you might catch a teacher who lost a paper, but you're going to catch that at the end of the semester anyway. We all made it through school without having to look at our grades on a daily basis. So, you know, to your point, I just, I, I, there's not a win there no. other than we can do it from the technology perspective, but do we need to do it? No. no. So back to that review, though. There's one thing I want to mention about that review, that awesome one-star review, which I think you should frame. <laughs> I got um, find. Is it like I it's don't on Amazon? Yeah, it's okay. like there aren't very many one star reviews, but that was one. Uh, I think that that person, when they talk about like, hey, you know, your kids, you know, are going to come to somebody else's house, and mm-hmm. you know, they're going to might get hurt or whatever, they're forgetting that in a nicer world, we all look out for one another, mm-hmm. especially our kids. It's called community. It's called society. It's called fun. You know, <laughs> yeah. If if a kid shows up and they're hungry or they have a skinned knee, you take care of it. We co-parent collectively, I, I, I think we should. I think we should look at that more. Not to say we take legal responsibility for other people's kids, that's adoption. But just, you know, <laughs> you're, you're a kid on the street has a problem. Right. You go out and like all sorts of parents did that I never do. They'd come out. If we were like yelling in the street, they'd, something was going on. Like if I wrecked my bike, which I did many times and mm-hmm. was crying, mm-hmm. which I did a lot, <laughs> uh, some adult would come out and check on me. Yeah. Not my mom wouldn't be the first one because I wouldn't wreck my bike in front of our house. (laughs) You know, it would be blocks away. So, you know, I just think that maybe we often forget our own children that are inside us, what we were. And, and that's just really sad. Not only do we not relate with our kids as well, we don't relate with ourselves as well. Um, Now, to be fair, to be fair to you, okay. a slightly super nicer review. Here's another review. Okay. This is a five-star review, which I think gives a good- did I write uh, it? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you did. Lenore? One of your friends, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, but this leads up to um, our money-back guarantee on your new edition. So, wow. Does every parent in America need to read this book? I loved it so much that I wanted to buy 25- Do you remember this? Buy them. No, this I, I haven't okay. read them. <laughs> you didn't read this one? Okay. You didn't write it. I wanted to buy 25 copies and pass it out to every parent I know. I think- think this should be handed out at the hospital to people who give birth and say, this is the only parenting book you'll ever need. This book will help you let go of some control, give you some freedom, and let you take a deep breath. I wish I would have read this book day one of being a mom. I've wasted so many years of stressing and worrying and trying to control my children's every move, letting go a little bit or a lot if you want. Allow your kids to grow up and learn some personal responsibility. And this is key, allowing you to enjoy parenting in the meantime. That's a great review. Wow. Do they say who they're from? Does it say who it's by? I I just cut and pasted this one. Um, It was one of the first five-star reviews. Uh, But I think they're like 300 five-star reviews. So you might have to go through it a little bit. But uh, the the point here is it's a reminder that when we let go a bit for our kids, oh my God, we get to relax in our house a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's not instant. It takes some time. I still get stressed when my eight-year-old is wandering around because I'm like – Honestly, Rye, my kid Rye, he sucks at looking both ways before he crosses the street. And I'm always like, mm-hmm. I'm not a no, super nice dad in public me. sometimes. Yes, no, you that know, I'm barking too. at him sometimes. <laughs> like, you can't 
not look. If you make this mistake one time, it's lights out. Like I put the fear of God into him. I probably do it wrong, but I'm scared that my kid won't look in traffic. And he has this right. habit of walking in the middle of the road all the time, oblivious, right? But I can't let that be the thing that holds him from, you know, walking down the road, right? I just can't. It's It doesn't make any sense. So five-star review, a new edition of this book, Free Range Kids, is coming out on June 16th. So you can probably pre-order it yet. Can oh yeah, please yet? do. So, now the, so the, the publisher says yeah. I should have pre-order. more pre-orders. Yes. Is it is it still Wiley? It's uh, still Wiley, like the Wiley Coyote. Company is, is one of my favorite publishers. So guarantee you guys know this if you listen to this podcast and there's a book or a, or a music that we love uh, that has a super nice club money bag guarantee. So pre-order it. If you buy it and you don't love it, if you don't like five star, love it, we'll buy it back from you. <laughs> four at star. The price, <laughs> at the price that you paid. Okay, four star, four or five star. It's, it's an honor system though, honor system. Okay. We'll buy it back from you at the price that you paid and we'll re-gift it to somebody else in the Super Nice Club. So check out Free Range Kids. I mean, not limitless. The Super Nice Club makes no profit. <laughs> so maybe like the first 20 copies. Oh, right? you're not going to get 20 copies back? My There's gosh. A, I know I'm not. But if somebody wanted, if somebody just wanted to be a jerk, you know, and Why buy a hundred copies, podcast? I don't know. I'm just covering my bases. Okay. Um, so yeah, seriously, folks, though, so check the book out. If you don't love it or if you're like, you know what, it was good, but it wasn't great. I kind of feel like send it to us. We'll buy it from you and we'll find a good home for it. All right. Enough of that guarantee. We're not, we're not trying to beg you to return it, but you know, if you need to, that book is a zero. We're begging you to buy it. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a zero risk. Um, it's a zero risk item. So, um, I want to know now, so you did the article, Mm -hmm. it blew up overnight. Mm -hmm. Uh, we like to look on this podcast at, at this idea of nice work, this idea of, of this is my passion. This is my work. How do I connect them? Mm-hmm. So from one article, and you see, you see, like you said, you still write a bunch of articles, right? You're still, I you're do, still, yeah. Pres- I still, right, yeah. still a syndicated but, columnist, yes. Yeah, but from one article, you shifted into a whole oh, different yeah. path. No, and, it's and so strange. It doesn't <laughs> really seem strange. like... It doesn't seem like you chose that career path. It came about as a result of the article. So I want to know if it felt natural or if it felt overwhelming. Did it feel like, oh my God, I didn't, I, this isn't where I, I, I didn't ask for this? Or, you know, um, uh, you one day a columnist. Time? Yeah, at the time. One day you were a columnist. The next day you were the face of, of the same parenting movement. Um, Well, it wasn't that fast. I mean, one day I was on the Today Show and then after that I was on a ton of other media. And the only reason I started the blog was because uh, the media can make you sound horrible, right? I mean, they, you know, really, it's like, well, how would you have felt if he didn't come home? And it's like, why are we talking about that? He came home. It's like, so so I started the Free Range Kids blog to say that I love safety. I love helmets and car seats and seat belts. I love safety. I mean, I want my kids to, you know, to live long after I'm gone. Uh, so um, all I was doing at the time was sort of defending myself and defending the idea that this is not crazy. This is rational. I recognize that not it's not for everybody, but it's not that mm-hmm. I'm endangering my kid um, deliberately or significantly. I'm not. So mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a writer, so I just kept blogging. I mean, it was the same thing. And also, it, I guess it was sort of convenient in a terrible way that the newspaper I was working for went under, <laughs> right, as I got my book contract. So it's like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing now. And, and then it's been very interesting to me because it's just, um, obviously it's changed my life and I've gone around the, the world actually talking about this issue. And 
I really, I mean, I was attracted to your podcast because of the thing that you believe that I believe empirically, which is that most people are good. And to act as if most people are out to, you know, hurt your strain, yeah. your kid or prey upon them um, or that your kid can't handle anything. I mean, I just can't stand underselling our kids, our community, our country, our future. I really think they're all better off than we think. And it's it strikes me as a crime of ingratitude. Here we are, you know, I, we got, you know, there's plenty of food, there's no famine. We've developed a vaccine in record time. But even before the vaccine, we were just living in these, like we talked about, a crime was down. And we're acting like everybody is out to kill our kid. Nothing is safe enough. I better be with them all the time. And if I see your kid without somebody, I'm going to call the cops. Yeah, I'm going to, rather than, rather than being... A good Samaritan. I mean, people think I'm going to good Samaritan. I'm going to call the cops. It's like, no, a good Samaritan stands by the kid. You know, are you okay, kid? You know, you know where you're going. Okay, great. Um, as opposed to turning, you know, America into a sort of uh, Stasi state where, you know, East Germany, you're always turning on your neighbor and, and reporting them to the police. It's you don't need the authorities to to uh, to step into everyday life. And in fact, you are fully equipped. And that's one of the things that makes me mad. I mean, we were just talking earlier about how great it feels when you are trusted and you rise to the occasion and you ride, you know, you ride your broken bike or you help somebody out. And to, to, to always be told that, like, that's not your job. Turn to the government. Turn to the cops. Turn to Child Protective Services. They know better than mm -hmm. you and they can help out. And it's not your job. And don't meddle. That's that's the opposite of the country that I want to be living in. I, I really mm -hmm. feel like most of us are nice and we can help each other. And when a kid scrapes his knee in front of my apartment building, uh, I don't think it's a huge imposition that I get him a popsicle and a Band-Aid. Yeah, I, I agree. Do you feel like this is something that's a uniquely uh, – not feel, you have the information. Is this something that is – predominantly uh, uh, a trend in the United States mm. towards this conservatism around uh, how you know, the, the fear mm. with our kids, uh, or is this also in Canada and Europe? What's, oh, the, it's what's very the trend much globally? In, Canada is identical to us. England okay. is doing the same thing. Australia, those are obviously the big Western English-speaking countries. They all seem pretty mm -hmm. similar to me. What disturbs me is I just heard, who was I talking to? Somebody was writing to me from, oh, from from the Netherlands where all the kids ride bikes and they get bike riding, you know, traffic instruction as kindergartners. And they said that they're the, the sort of a creeping trend towards this helicopterism. And, and it, it certainly seems like it's partly because, you know, you have two incomes, fewer kids. Um, and so the money and the focus becomes, you know, great, greater per each child. And so, the, the norms start being to spend an enormous amount of time and money, whatever you have, on each kid. And, and actually, there have been studies that show in America, it's not just the rich people doing this. The poor people also think that the more you can drop everything and, you know, be with your kid, help your kid, even if you were trying to make dinner and the kid said, come draw with me. The majority of people in America in this survey that was done at Cornell said, drop whatever you're doing and draw with your child. And I'm thinking like, have your child help you make the spaghetti sauce <laughs> if you want to do something <laughs> together, but you don't have to drop yeah. what you're doing to help them for them to understand that you love them and care. I mean, that's the other thing too. When you talk about trust, it almost feels like, like we don't even trust that our children will know how much we love them unless we are 
demonstrating it somehow almost histrionically constantly. Um, and really, the, the bond is strong between parent and child. Most people are good. Most things that um, that kids get into are not that big a deal. They can be trusted to problem solve. You can trust them to talk to some strangers. And that's all. I mean, that's that's why I'm on your podcast, okay? I, 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 I preach the same gospel Honored. as you. Most people are nice, and we're lucky to be living in such a safe and bountiful time. Uh, you know, I, I do feel that luck with my kids all the time. I recognize it. Um, doesn't mean that I, I don't ignore, you know, responsible parenthood. But, right. you know, I definitely feel like, boy, how lucky is it that I get to live in California? My kids are, are relatively safe. And yes, they're, you know, relatively affluent white children. I get all the privilege they mm -hmm. have and that goes mm -hmm. into their safety. The, the crime is down across the board, though. Mm -hmm. It's funny that you mentioned the Dutch because... Uh, <laughs> My uh, my stepkids, uh, my lady comrade Sandra, <laughs> she's Dutch. So oh, wow. one of the this this whole conversation led to her fishing a book out of uh, the the cupboard called "The Happiest Kids in the World: How Dutch Parents Help Their Kids and Themselves by Doing Less." Because she just thinks USA uh, parents are crazy with their over monitoring. Like she, it drives her crazy. She's like, look. This is how we do it. You know, uh, our kids are way less anxious. You know, this is just from her observation, right? She's not trying to judge the USA and all the parents. But And now you're telling me that it's sort of like creeping into Well, it comes uh, where there's, you know, I mean, culture. we America exports a lot of its cultural ideas, right? And yeah. a lot of its pop culture. But I think, I think um, being Dutch is probably, you know, still going to be a lot less obsessive than ours. But once again, she says that American parents are crazy, but once it's the culture, it's the culture where parents magazine says, never let your child have a play date without you there. You know, never, what did they say? When you read to your child at night, count the number of words on the page so that they can be learning their numbers while they're learning their letters. Uh, you know, if you want to raise a music lover, don't wait till they're three, you know, introduce them to this, get by these baby knee pads. I mean, you're just in a culture that is telling you the way to raise your kids is extraordinarily expensive and intensive and um, very demanding, intensive. right? Yeah. And so if, if all I'm saying is that's not your idea, that's a culture that is creating it. You guys want to know something weird? Uh, my oldest kid, Justice, didn't learn how to read until, didn't even start the alphabet until he was eight years old. Uh, he's a Waldorf kid, so roll your eyes if you want. But they don't even—they don't even start with the alphabet. And you know what? Six months later, he could read as well as any of his friends who had been reading since they were doing flashcards at two years old. So you know, right, don't do the, flashcards. The pressure, at two years old. <laughs> the pressure to get our kids. I mean, I personally was reading it too, which is really weird. I know, you know. But by the time I was ten, I wasn't reading any better. No, the other no, no. The idea okay, that if you start sooner, yeah. uh, that you'll always be those six months ahead or whatever. No, it's like, no. oh, I'm really better than the 43-year-old because I'm at a 44-year-old reading level. Yeah. It's like crazy. No, it, it even does. Um, back to the Dutch for a second, though. I do want to say, while they're super advanced as parents, their sense of humor just sucks. Like, mm -hmm. you don't find any stand-up comics <laughs> out of the Netherlands, right? They're just, uh, I'm just kidding, Dutch friends. Um, but uh, It doesn't look like he's the, kidding. I, I, I think our humor in the USA is, is much more, 
it's much more evolved, you know. It's uh, yeah. it's new world humor. Yeah, we've we've got you on the humor level. You make better bikes, though. Mm. Definitely make better bikes, mm. and you know how to deal with water and dams, right? right. Tulips, uh, genius shoes, <laughs> right? Uh, what else? Yeah. Right. Uh, great ad campaigns. Um, yeah. So you know. But I just, I just want to give the USA some props on, on the comedy. That's front. right. We've you know, been. we've got Dave Chappelle. All right, what do you got? That's it. That, yeah. yeah. I mean, come on, Bam. come at me, <laughs> come at me, Netherlands. <laughs> oh, now, now Sandra's going to kill me. Um, so, the programs you now are at, you have let grow. Mm-hmm. That evolved from free range kids. What was that? How is that an extension of yeah. what's the relationship there? So for ten years, I was just sitting at my computer, as you see me right now. Uh, typing away by myself, giving speeches and freelance writing. And then about four years ago, uh, a guy named Daniel Shuckman, who was at the time the chairman of a group called FIRE, which fights for free speech on campus, was talking to Jonathan Haidt, who wrote The Coddling of the American Mind. And they were saying, you know, kids on campus are very anxious and very um, sensitive. And there's a lot of depression there's a lot of uh, need for mental health services on campus, and it can't just be happening the second a kid steps onto the, you know, the quadrangle. It must be starting sooner. What is it that's going on in American childhood that is making kids so um, anxious and um, sort of unable to cope? And they found me. You know, who's fighting the culture of overprotection that seems to be undermining our kids? And they said, let's start an organization together. And so we call it Let Grow. And while Free Range Kids was always talking about the problem, which is what we're doing today, Let Mm -hmm. Grow is dedicated to action. And so we really tried to come up with workable, real world, free ideas that can change the culture fast enough to make a difference. And, and significantly enough. And so what we have are two school programs, and I'll just describe them very briefly. And mm-hmm. uh, and all our materials for them are free. So if anybody's interested, they should go to letgrow.org and they can look up the school stuff there. Um, so one is the Let Grow Project, where kids get the homework assignment, go home and do something new on your own without your parents. And the reason that this is such a cool idea is that Parents don't know anymore when they're allowed, like we've just been talking about this now, is eight years old too young, too old? Am I allowed to let them walk to school? When can they ride a bike? You know, they just, the milestones that parents a generation or two ago had, which is, you know, in first grade, you'll walk to school and you'll have a, you know, I don't know, you'll have a bike by the time you're seven or eight and maybe you'll have a a paper route or whatever and babysit after that. Those, Those milestones are buried now under these mounds of fear. And so by having the school tell the parents, you have to let them do something on their own. It's their homework. The parents go, well, it's the school telling me it must be good. And, mm-hmm. and then the kids are all talking to each other. What are you doing? Oh, I'm going to the store. Oh, really? I'm going to go get my hair cut or whatever. So it just makes it Sharing easy. the stories. Yeah. They're sharing the stories. And they the want to do the other things. Right. And then it's like, yeah. well, one kid did this. Oh, I want to do that now. And so it yeah. just normalizes letting the kids go again. And once you've done that, our, one of our favorite stories is from a town um, called Wilton, Connecticut, where a kid who was doing his Let Grow project, it was K through five, went into the store to buy, I'm always assuming a muffin. I don't know what he was buying. Um, <laughs> and and the store owner and the clerks are like, what's this kid doing here? He looks so young. Where's his mother? And so finally, one of them said, where's your mother? 
And he said, oh, I'm doing my Let Grow project. And they're like, what's that? And he said, oh, I have to go do something by myself. It's a school project. And they're like, oh, all right. And then afterwards, as other kids came in over the weeks and months, it was just normal again. Oh, it's a Let Grow kid. It's a Let Grow kid. And finally, it was just a kid, right? It just renormalized oh, yeah. the idea that, of course, there are kids on their bikes, walking around, going to stores, you know, on the sidewalks. You just have to renormalize it. And when you have a whole class or a whole school or a whole school district doing the Let Grow project, then mm-hmm. it just makes it so much easier because you're 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 not an individual doing it. You're you're part of a group, right? And yeah. So, but I just want to say sorry, one other thing about it, which is that yeah. the the big selling point for me is that when I would give my talks, like we've just been talking, people would nod mm-hmm. along. Oh yeah, it was great. Oh, I remember my childhood. You know, I remember falling off my bike just like Jesse. Whatever it is, they would remember their childhood, but they couldn't get it into gear to give their own kids. And so what we decided for let grow is like, once you, once you get the parent to do this and to let them go and the parent sees the kid come home, that's the only thing that changes parents, not listening to my statistics, not listening to your reminiscences, not listening to Jesse Ventura stories till the cows come home or till Jesse Ventura comes home. They must see their own kids succeed on their own. And when they do, they are so elated that their kid is competent and blossoming and growing up that they, they lose the old image of the kid as being, you know, fragile and in danger and needy and clingy. And it's just like when you see your kid toddle at the beginning, Mm -hmm. instead of walking, instead of crawling, it's like, you're so proud. And you don't say now go back to crawling. You're like, this is, I love this. I really love hearing you say this. I love, I, you know, like next semester after the summer, hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, knock on wood, we'll be uh, in the USA like the first um, post-COVID mm-hmm. school semester mm-hmm. in a long time. Mm-hmm. This is such a great timing to get this out there. I'm going to I'm gonna come back to this. I'm going to put it in my calendar to come back to this, uh, to you or somebody at your organization and see mm-hmm. how the Super Nice Club can help take this idea into schools around the country. So oh, is, it, is it more often that parents go to your site and they look at that and go, ooh, and take it to the schools? Or is it more often that educators find it or you go, how does it usually get kicked you off? Know, I, I actually don't know how people come okay. to us. I yeah. know we're all, I'm, I'm talking about it all the time. We're in all 50 states, you know, we're in something yeah. like, I don't know, 1500 schools or something now. And finally, actually- this, 1500 schools, 1500? 1500. And what we're doing, but, but more important, we're finally doing our studies to see the actual impact. This summer, we're doing a study in the Boston Public Schools with, you know, a control group and a non-control group and seeing if the mm-hmm. kids become, you know, more confident, more problem solving, if the teachers see a difference, if the parents see a difference. But the other, um, the other Let Grow initiative in schools is called the Let Grow Play Club. And that is also mm-hmm. extraordinarily simple. It's the school staying open before or after school for free play. And that's mixed mm-hmm. ages, playing together, there's some balls out there, there's cardboard boxes, there's whatever you whatever you want. And it's just the teacher, there's a teacher there in the corner with an EpiPen, <laughs> but they don't organize the games, they don't solve the arguments. You say, oh, I had the ball first. And you say, thank you for letting me know. And off they go and they solve their own problems. And I'll give you one quick story. And then I got to run because I'm about to yeah. talk to my publisher, um, which yeah. is that there was a, a, a play club down in South Carolina um, at a Title I school. Title I means high poverty. And it was started by this wonderful guy named Kevin. And before COVID, the kids uh, were playing after school and they made this giant pile of leaves and they were all taking turns jumping in and it was so fun. He sent me videos, it was great. But one day they had this leaf pile and one kid just went and 
sat down in the middle. And the kids were like, move, you're in the way, Jason, get out of there, move, Jason, come on, come on. And Jason wasn't moving, ha, ha, ha. And so they were trying to figure it out. And finally, they decided, and they just figured this out. They just started jumping on the other side of him. You know, they jumped on this side of the pile and that side of the pile. And Jason, whatever his name was, got bored and walked away. And to me, that's why you have play club. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because if you had recess, you would have a teacher saying, you know, blowing the whistle, Jason, get out of the pile or coming over and talking to him. And so you would have Jason getting exactly what he wanted, which is attention. And you would have the kids being completely inert and, um, you know, not problem solving at all because somebody else is taking care of it. And, you know, it might look like the same thing. You know, somebody solves the problem. Jason is no longer in the pile and the kids continue. But but all the lessons of like, well, what are we going to do? Well, we can't push him around. You're not allowed to push him. Well, what can we do? Let's go jump on the side of him. Oh, that was fun. Is it fun? Yeah, you can come too. All the negotiating, the thinking, the strategizing, the creativity, and yeah, and the yeah. perfect solution that they came up with, that would be missing in action if it was just the regular recess or gym or an after-school Absolutely. program, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and that's part of the, the Waldorf school philosophy too. They don't monitor their, their play. play. All play is free play. Kids get in arguments. They have to solve it amongst themselves. And that takes a little bit of getting used to oh, yeah. uh, as a parent. So I know you got to run. We wrap with – we'll do this really quickly, rapid fire. We do two quick things on the podcast. Okay. The first is you get to issue a super nice club challenge. This is just something that listeners can do, something in their world um, – to make things uh, a little bit nicer. I'm going to give you a little sense for, for, for time. I'm going to give you a little help maybe. Okay. Um, so what would be a great challenge, a great start for someone who just, what's a starting point to letting grow, to letting like, go? So here's what yeah. I would say. Um, I'm, this is a challenge for uh, parents or caregivers. I would say, talk to your kid about something that they feel they're ready to do that they haven't done yet. Um, that is outside of your house. And if it feels uncomfortable to start that fast, to have them do it with a friend. I, I, I always recommend a, a work date play date where you bring your laptop over to my house and we're both just pounding away on our keys and the kids are playing outside. Do that. Do something where your kid is separate from you outside and you're inside and set a time before they can come back in. 15 minutes, half an hour. Otherwise, they'll just be in in 10 seconds. I guarantee you asking okay. for a glass of water. Yeah. That's a great one. Okay, so challenge accepted. Um, mm-hmm. Folks, I would love to hear from you. Me too. Uh, how, how it goes. So let us know, tag us. You know there's, you know how to get a hold of us. It's easy in, in the modern uh, social network world. How this little experiment went for you, please. And then lastly. Wait, Linda, and also lastly, tell me, tell me and send me pictures. We'll write about you. <laughs> we want to, there's some incentive right there. They'll write about how the experiment went. Uh, Lenore will. So lastly, do you have a question for me? You can ask me any question. This is the part where the guest becomes the host. Oh, sure. For one question. Um, do you think that your podcast is making people nicer? Uh, no, I don't think a podcast makes people nicer. Um, I think uh, hopefully it's part of their of the of a process for someone. Hopefully a, a series of stories, they get a little bit of inspiration and it leads to the thing. It leads to the revelation where they choose to make themselves nicer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that thing like you don't really like you won't go see a movie until you hear it. I think the seventh <laughs> time or the eighth yeah. time or yeah. whatever yeah. that is. Right. Um, so 
in, in the nonprofit world, which I was in for years, like, or in your world, like you're delivering your story to free range kids. Like you don't get to see, you don't very often get to be the eighth time where somebody goes, I read your book and oh, I changed yeah. my life. Yeah. It takes like six or seven other nudges beforehand, but we get to be one of those nudges. Good. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you got to remember, like, it's not rewarding as rewarding when you're not the eighth nudge. Right. If somebody finally makes that change. But remember that you are part of it, even if you don't get to see it. So and I feel the, like the uh, podcast, <laughs> the everything that nudge. the Super Nice Club does, uh, hopefully is part of somebody's process for whatever their idea of 10% nicer is. Cool. So that makes sense. Um, and then I want to extend real quick the money back guarantee to two other books, just because one, the uh, the uh, the Dutch book, um, hmm. Uh, nicest kids in the world. Uh, I think just if you don't like that, you know, we'll, we'll definitely share that out with traded uh, for licorice <laughs> with a super nice club members. And also because I'm just a fan of this guy and you brought him up. Jonathan hate has great books. Yeah. The, the coddling of the American mind. And heck, if you want to dive deep, the righteous mind, yeah. um, why good people are divided by politics and religion. Okay. Either of those books, they're heavy lifts. They're beautiful. Wait, wait, wait. No, one of them is not a heavy lift. The Coddling is not a heavy lift. Uh, Righteous Mind was a heavier lift, at least for me. Okay. Yeah, Righteous Mind is definitely a heavy lift. Um, But a wonderful one that led to so many explorations for me. Uh, So I'll just say anything by Jonathan Haidt. If you, cause it, maybe I haven't read it and then I'll buy it from you and I'll get to read it. All right, guys. So, uh, but we really want you to check out free range. Uh, it's coming out on June 16th. You can pre-order it now. Do it. Um, Operators buy, are standing a local, by. <laughs> a local bookstore would be great. Or you can go to the Wiley, the publisher, and they've probably got a link on there. Or, you know, you can do Amazon, but in Super Nice Club, we like to encourage uh, local book shopping for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. All right. Lenore, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you, Thank Todd. you for your stories. I hope you guys guys check her out i hope you guys think about your relationship with your kids and don't feel judged by us here we're not we're not Please. trying to judge we're all helicopter parents to some degree except for the ones that let ask me about around driving naked. so horrible yeah. my kids are both driving now i hate 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 it oh my god so terrible but we just want to all think about what we can do to embolden our kids moving forward it is part of a nicer world i promise you that and i think we can all agree on that lenore have a great call with your publisher oh thank you thank you Thank them for all their great books from uh, Super Nice Club. We we I have read a number of a number of Wiley and Company books are on my shelf. So big thanks on that too. Cool, I'll tell them. And thank you for having me. This was truly nice. So there you have it, a super nice conversation with Lenore Skenazy. What do you think? Did that did that make you nervous? Do you disagree with it? Do you think ah you know uh, this free range kids movement is crazy? I want to know if you do. I'd love to talk about it with you. Like I said in the intro, let's not argue about it. Or let's argue about it, but let's not make it be a thing. Like you see on social media where everybody's like, I'm going to unfriend you. I'm going to not be in your club because I disagree with you about something. We are getting so brittle and we can stop that. Yeah, I think I'd like to have a podcast just on that. Is there an expert out there? If you know an expert out there on the absurdity of our social media interactions, and how not nice they tend to be. I would love to talk to that person. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. And if you do agree, hey, how about that? If you do agree, let's uh, let's give some high fives. Let's talk to each other about that. Any experiences that you have with your kids where you've learned something around here, um, we'd love to hear about those experiences. We'd love to talk to you about that. And when I say talk to you, I mean it. I mean, call me. Uh, you've got my number. It's out there everywhere. You can be, you know, if you're part of the insiders, you can text me. 
there's just so many ways to get a hold of the Super Nice Club and to have that conversation. Being in a club doesn't mean just just digesting information and posts and buying hats and shirts. It means being in a club, communicating with other people. Right now, in this still ongoing sort of COVID time, we have to do that remotely through email, through phone calls, through texts. The Super Nice Club will be, again, hosting real-world gatherings and salons so we can talk about these things in person. But until then, just reach out. Let's talk. Let's not make the club be um, one-sided. Let's make it conversational and communicative like it's like it's meant to be. All right, next week we have the legendary Ed Gamester. Uh, Ed, Ed, well, God, Ed is a, he's a world strongman, wrestler, uh, rock and roll star, uh, writer, rum aficionado, and he is a man of mystery, many pleasures, and many talents, and it's going to be a great conversation. So until then, everybody, stay nice. Oh, want to be nice? Don't you want to be? So what? Big deal.